0: Before we begin, I'd just like to say thank you to my friends at Hair Saloon for supporting this podcast and for providing space at their corporate offices to record it. Hair Saloon's mission has as much to do with the restoration of men as it does with the business of haircutting. They try to make a difference in the lives of the thousands of men who come through their doors each week. Hair Saloon is based in St. Louis, Missouri, and if you've ever been interested in running your own business and want to work with great people, I would highly recommend you check out the Hair Saloon Franchise opportunity. Go to hairsaloonfranchise.com to find out more information. That's hairsalonfranchise.com. Also, a quick reminder to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already and to please take two minutes to give us your review. And if you have a question or a comment you'd like to share with our listeners, go to Suzanne at the SuzanneVenkerShow.com. Welcome back to the Suzanne Venker Show. I have with me today Rolo Tomasi, who I think some of you, at least my male listeners, may know. He's the author of The Rational Male, which is billed as life-saving work for men in the sexual marketplace and covers an array of topics we're going to talk about today, such as the soulmate myth, masculine and feminine dynamics, and hypergamy. Rolo is also the author of the Rational Male series of books, as well as the author of the Rational Male blog, which is now in its ninth year. He has a one-year-old YouTube channel with 34,000 subscribers and has a podcast called, appropriately, The Rational Mail Podcast. Rolo has been married to his wife for 23 years and they have a 21-year-old daughter. He lives in Reno, Nevada with anywhere between two to five greyhounds, depending on how many he's fostering at the time. Rolo's website is TheRationalMail.com. Good morning, Rolo.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on.
0: Sure. Thanks for coming on. I'm excited to talk to you. My goodness, there's so much to say. I think this might be a long podcast.
1: (laughs) Although I I usually (laughs) go over.
0: (laughs) Well, I have to say, having seen some of your um, interviews, you guys really do long podcasts. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, up to two,
0: two and a half hours. We're not going to do that, but... um, but I have a feeling this one's going to be a lot, little longer than normal because there's just there's just so much to cover. First, I want to make sure I, I, I'm definitely pronouncing your name correctly because you told me I was sure. Rolo. Um, mm-hmm. How did you get that name, and is that your real name?
1: Oh boy, no, no, that's not my real name. That's my. It's become my pen name. Um, I way back in about 2000, 2001, I was uh, part of an online forum called so Suave. and uh, on SoSuave back. Uh, Back in those days, uh, everybody had a handle, you know, they had just sort of a nickname or a moniker that they would use because everybody, you know, anonymity was a thing back then. It still is kind of today, I think. And uh, just kind of stuck with me. Uh, I I just sort of titled myself Rolo Tomasi. I think I had watched um, L.A. Confidential. Uh, probably like the night before or something. And I, I thought that would make a really cool name um, because a lot of the work that I was doing at that time when I was writing and, and I eventually became a mod at our moderator at that um, forum Um Talking about what we were we were getting into, and just sort of uh, you know collecting notes and and uh, just having the debates and the talks we do, it was really um, I don't want to call it subversive, but it was something that was controversial, and I felt like I was getting away with a crime. So that's Mm. why I said, you know, very interesting.
0: How long ago was that? The
1: uh, the forum was it's it began actually about. Year 2000, I think, but then uh, there was a different iteration of it that is the one that you would see right now. It's just soswap.net is the, uh, okay. the forum, and it used to be an old um, seduction community forum. And that's why it was called so Suave. Um There was a few of them uh, in the very early 2000s. Um, Suave so was one. There was uh, Alt Fast Seduction. Um, that was where guys like Mystery and the early pickup artists used to come in and sort of compare notes. And and um, back then it was a group of guys from all over the world who were just, you know, they didn't realize they were doing it at the time, but they were getting together just to sort of compare notes and say, well, you know, in my country or in my neck of the woods, wherever I'm at, this is how, um, this is how I'm experiencing women. Or this is like, here's my life story. You know, yeah. like I got divorced or um, I'm a young guy. I'm looking how, how do I get laid? Those kinds of things. And so it was just really kind of an aggregate of, uh, men's experiences, um, with the express purpose in the early days of getting laid. Since then it's become something a little bit more, you know, what we call the red pill or what we call the manosphere right now.
0: Okay. And that's a, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, in terms of the manosphere i we need to really um I mean you know, my audience is very different from yours so i want to explain mm-hmm. to them exactly what that is and specifically how you're different from what some of them will know as mras or men's rights activists and megtao mm-hmm. movement which mm-hmm. is men going their own way which i just up front i you know i have some of those um folks on my facebook author mm-hmm. page um I, you know i let them know <laughs> it's I support them in theory, but I do feel like that group is basically like feminists on the other side and just not mm-hmm. really liking women at all. And they've checked out. And while I respect their choice to do that, it's not helpful for what I'm mm-hmm. doing to be trashing women. So um, I don't like that. Just, just mm-hmm. full disclosure there. So, Oh yeah. Tell- yeah. I,
1: I, I clearly, yeah. I, I totally agree with you on probably about 90% of that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So tell me how you're different and and and. Where is the group of you guys that's mm-hmm. not that group but still in the Manosphere?
1: Uh, so I think that the the term the Manosphere is just something that kind of came out right around 2013, 2014. And it was just in this community. I actually usually didn't – I mean prior to like 2014, I just called it the community or the red pill community. We didn't even call it the Manosphere. But uh, the Manosphere is sort of this loose – affiliation of different groups. There's like, it's, it's really kind of factionalized right now. So you've got guys who are men going their own way, which is, is sort of coming into its own recently. Um, there was the, the MRAs or the MRM, which is the men's rights movement. Um, that's like uh, website's like a voice for men and, okay. uh, And I'm sure you're probably familiar with some of those guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's the PUAs, which is the pickup artists, which really came out long before any of these other groups were. So the PUAs, the early PUAs like uh, Mystery and Neil Strauss. I I don't know if you're familiar with the book called called The Game. No. Uh, The Game was a uh, – it was a book by Neil Strauss. He's an author. And um, it was about sort of the seduction community of the early 2000s. Um, It was published in 2005 and so the PUA kind of, I don't say a movement, but the PUA community or the seduct, they also called the seduction community came out right around 2001 to about 2006 or 2007. And then it's kind of morphed into something a little bit different. And so when people talk about PUAs, they tend to think of them in terms of what they were about and what they looked like and all their techniques and everything else that was going on from the early 2000s. So we're talking almost 20 years ago. And, um, so from that point, uh, I, I'll just give you a really quick breakdown of how I got interested in all this because it sort of it yeah. clarifies a lot of this too. When I was in, let's see, uh, 2001, um, I started listening to uh, terrestrial radio show host, uh, Tom Lykus. And yeah, I, 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 so, you know, Tom Likas uh-huh. is about, um, he's now on, uh, he does digital stuff. I think he's, he's just strictly online right now. I, if he's not retired by now, I'm not really sure if he decided to retire or not, but his, to- his material, his topics and stuff were, were very early. Uh, I don't want to say they were pickup artistry, but they were really, um, uh, more salacious, more – his delivery was kind of you know, over the top yeah, because he was tri- a shock jock. Yeah, yeah, he was. Mm-hmm. And so – but the material he was talking about at that time, I was really interested mm-hmm. in because I was just getting into psychology and I was really sort of getting into behavioral psychology um, because I was going to school at that time and I wanted to – I've been a, a graphic designer and art director and, and a brand manager and brand identity specialist kind of guy for a very long time. And when I was in school, I wanted to just basically minor in behavioral psychology so I could understand the people that I was working with. Okay. And so that's where my, my background is really in – In uh, well, I have, a, I have a BFA and I got a BS in, in um, behavioral psychology. And I did that because I originally wanted to be able to figure out like what my clients were really all about. But at that time, I started doing peer review – or uh, peer counseling as part of my, my university work, my, my school. And so I would take the guys that nobody really wanted to work with. It wasn't sexy to work with a guy who was like, say 45 or 55 or 65 years old, who was trying to figure out his life and why his wife wouldn't have sex with him, And, and uh, you know, I, I would, I would get these guys. And I was actually kind of more interested in these guys because I was getting into the seduction community at that time, but not because I was a PUA. I was married at that time, but I got into the seduction community because they were using psychological principles that were very, very close to a lot of the stuff that I was learning and and writing essays and everything about, anyways, um, if, for for I, my psychology work. So I was and I don't, I don't have a doctorate or anything like that. It's just like a a, a very intense interest. interest. If I yeah, was to I go back it. to school, I would probably yeah. go for like a master's or something yeah. like that. But, um. But so uh, so working with guys face to face, talking with guys online, uh, you know, getting on, getting involved with the, the guys on uh, on so and there was it started to even factionalize way back in like say like 2005 2006. And it was there was the the mature man's form. Then there was the teenage guys form. And then there was the general form. And then there was you know everybody had their kind of like little areas. And I I I tended to stay with the the mature men form, even though I was only like I think it was like early 30s when I was doing that. And uh, so I would talk with these guys. And then every once in a while, somebody from the teenage form, like the high school form, would come and hit me up for advice. I give them a little bit of advice, talk about you know talk about what it is that you know we'd have this conversation because I've always felt that. Um, when it comes to giving guys relationship advice or dating advice or sexual advice or whatever it is, um, one of the reasons why we see these forums today um, that have been around like for close to 20 years is because these guys want they're they're hungry for mm-hmm. this information. They don't they want to be able to say you know to to aggregate all this stuff and be, have this collective yeah. of community. That community is what ended up becoming the the later later on became the Manosphere or what we call the Manosphere right now. Although the Manosphere right now is is anybody's game and i think that that's the problem with that the the manosphere has a pr problem right now Um, and it is that the the worst of the worst are the ones that everybody is sort of like Associating the master with, as opposed to like say red pill, PUA, MGTOW, MRAs, those kind of stuff, and and really understanding what those groups, were, you know, why why they factionalized into those groups. So I don't align myself with with PUA. I don't align myself. I'm definitely not PUA. I'm not an MRA. Uh, I have my re, I have reasons for all of these, for for not aligning with any of these guys. Uh, I think MGTOWs get a lot right, but I think that what they get wrong is in their uh, in their prescriptions. Uh, I, 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 um, if, if I was to align myself with anything, I always say that I am red pill and red pill was a terminology that we came up with back in the seduction communities way back in like 2004, 2005. And I can show you the, I can show you the actual uh, posts on those forums where we were using that yeah. term back then. And we did that because there was so many guys who were. Uh, would come to those forums and they would learn from other guys and they'd go, man, I feel like uh, Neo in the Matrix, right? So we started calling it that. We, ca- we started calling it like once you understand intersexual dynamics, once you understand uh, like things like hypergamy and you understand uh, like – we'll talk about this later about the soulmate myth and all these other things. You kind of wake up to this bill of goods or the yes. wh- what we call the old social contract that you believed was true for a very long time. And now you're, you're, you know, the world is, is, looks differently. So it's almost like Neo taking the red pill instead of the blue pill. So that's why we came up with the idea of uh, the matrix is sort of like blue pill conditioning and what you believe before, then you kind of take the red pill and you you realize what's what, you know, where you really are. And that's why we came up with that analogy.
0: So this is funny because you could, that's great for men. And then really, the reason why I think it gelled with me was that I'm basically trying to get women to, to I guess, mm-hmm. take their own red pill.
1: <laughs> based oh, there's on definite, what, there is definitely I mean, a blue pill for women. Yeah, yes. I mean, we
0: never talk about that. I certainly don't um, discuss in that way, and I don't think I've ever heard about it put in that way. But it, it's basically the same thing when I'm blowing the lid off of the feminist um mindset that they've been conditioned to have. And I have to essentially help them extract it out of their brain, right? If they want to be successful in life and in love, because you've been tutored with all the wrong messages from the culture. And the only way to do that, I mean, the only way to get out of that is to to face the truth. So why we don't use the word red and blue pill, um, you know, You, in fact, I can jump down to something I was going to ask you right here because you just mentioned it, you you talk basically about denial. That's what denial is. Mm-hmm. And you said the first step to really unplugging from our preconditioning is recognizing that this has led to the beliefs we think are integral to our personalities. And mm-hmm. when a person internalizes this mental schema so thoroughly, uh, he, you know, he or she becomes conditioned to it for so long, it becomes a part of a personality. So to mm-hmm. attack that belief, hello, hello, this is what I've been doing for 20 years, is to literally attack the person. Attack the person. They that's, perceive called ego
1: it, in, that's called ego investment is what that is.
0: Okay, so they perceive mm-hmm. it as a personal attack, even when it's presented with irrefutable empirical evidence that challenges the veracity of those beliefs. Mm-hmm. So that paragraph stuck out to me when I read it because that's basically what I've been doing for years and taking flack mm-hmm. as a result. And so I'm sort, oh, of, yeah. I'm sort of the face of being willing to take the heat on, on behalf of women, Um, Because it doesn't bother me to fight feminists, but uh, it does bother me tremendously that they've had so much influence over everyday women and I don't want Mm -hmm. them to be unhappy and they don't need to be unhappy. There's no reason for it. And there's another way. You know, that's basically what motivates me.
1: One thing that I always say is um, it really ever since the sexual revolution – so we're talking about like say just roughly let's say 1965, right. somewhere around there. Um, so for a, just about 50 years um, since the sexual revolution, I don't think people really realize just how influential – well, first of all, hormonal birth control was but also the sexual revolution and what it did to sort of unleash – uh, well, first of all, feminism, but also uh, the like, what are the imperatives and what are like, say, the prime directives, I guess, of of feminism, and how feminism has changed really Western culture to the point where we export it to other countries right no now. Question. Um, and so what I say is this. Uh, when guys when, – when people start asking me questions about like what do, what do I think about feminism, my – whenever people say, oh, well, I'm not a feminist. I don't identify as a feminist. Well, that's basically meaningless today mm-hmm. to, to, to say whether you are or you aren't mm-hmm. because if you were born in like say the last – if you were born any time after like 1964 – Feminist ideology has had some it, effect yeah. in you. No so question. You, you, the, your beliefs that you, like I, I'm 51 years old, your beliefs. Ha, so am I. For, yeah, your, your beliefs um, have been molded or mm-hmm. have been influenced in some way by feminist ideology, whether you realize that or not. And so, like when I go out there and I talk about things like the sisterhood Uber Alice, and I see how, um, you know, the sort of the collectivism of women supersedes politics supersedes religion supersedes um uh race those kinds Agreed. of things mm-hmm. and so when i when i say that they go and oh, no, i can't that's not true and I, i'll go okay and i'll point out it mm-hmm. uh, i'll point out instances of that and the thing is is one of the reasons why i think that we're at a position right now where we are in history like we're in a we're very i don't know if you realize this maybe you do but we're in a very historic time right now with the internet Mm -hmm. and this, what I I call it a global sexual marketplace, but it's globalization. And globalization is not just about economics, it's about society as well. Mm -hmm. So, and that also encompasses uh, the sexual marketplace. So we now live in a global sexual marketplace rather than the localized sexual marketplace that we used to live in back in the 90s, right up until we had the internet. And so, like I was saying before, what's the first thing guys do when they have access to other guys to compare notes? They start talking about how do I solve my reproductive problem? How do I get laid? And they come together. They form forums. And even in its infancy, when, when the internet was just like, say, in the, the late 90s to the early 2000s, you have forums of guys getting together to talk to, – dedicated to talk about those things. And now we're at a point right now where if um, yeah. if I were to say – if I were to say, like, we live in a global sexual marketplace – People say, no, we don't. That's that's nonsense, whatever. I now can go and find you dozens of different stories. I can find you all the information that I'd ever want to to I would ever need to prove my point or to prove my case. We didn't have that just 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able I, to have this conversation with you 20 years ago.
0: It's just it's astounding to me how much has happened in 20 years. 20 years ago was when I wrote my first book. Um, and when I think about what life was like for me just as a writer and just trying to, I mean, basically blogs were just beginning. So I started a blog cause I was home with my kids and it was an easy way for me to keep my hand in, you know, that stuff. Um, and it's just, it's mind blowing how, how, how much has happened in just 20 years really mm-hmm. technologically and sociologically as a result of that. But I want to get to the rational mail. I want to get to, sure. to the content here. So we need to, move on. I want to start with, um, the soulmate myth, which is so dear to my heart. <laughs> so I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and I'm going to read just some things that you've, you know, written or said in your book, and then we can talk about it. So just in terms of identifying the soul, you know, what that is, you said for women, the soulmate represents the unattainable combination of arousing alpha dominance matched with a loyal providership for her long-term security that only she can tame out of him. And that's a great way of putting it. That is, every woman's desire is to take and find the strongest alpha male she can and get him to love only her. This is the stuff of dreams for a woman. And if you, if nobody believes me, all you have to do is look at uh, Hollywood because... <laughs> That's the theme of every romantic comedy, mm-hmm. every Disney movie, everything. You know, people. Beauty,
1: Beauty and the Beast. Beauty is and the, the Beast. Beast.
0: Beauty and the Beast is what it is. Um, and there's plenty of data to back that up. You don't need to just point to Hollywood. I'm just saying that Hollywood mm. is is in that sense certainly um, uh, dealing with something very very real. Mm. Um, okay. So then you, what what I like is that you wrote you call it one itis. So one. Mm. you know the word one one, and then itis like it's a disease Mm -hmm. this this fantasy that we all at least in some way share an idolization of that there's this one perfect mate for each of us and as soon as the planets align and fate takes its course we'll know that we're intended for each other and while this may make for a gratifying romantic comedy plot it is hardly a realistic way to plan your life in fact Mm -hmm. it's usually paralyzing I can see this right now happening with the younger set in particular, not not to say that it doesn't happen with older people because it does, but it's the younger you are, the more heightened this soulmate Mm -hmm. concept is. And of course, the reason why we still people up to the age um, still sort of believe in the back of their mind is because we've been raised with this theme in our face via the media our entire lives. So I always like Mm -hmm. to say, if you just subtracted TV from your life, just pretend it didn't exist or movies or whatever and you grew up in the I don't know and you were born in 1910 and you were not um, bombarded with that stuff all the time there's no way that you would have this concept of the soulmate myth that people have today I mean it Mm -hmm. was a completely different world where marriage was viewed in a in a very different way much more practical way so let's talk about how this soulmate myth basically screws people up when it comes to love sure
1: I um, I made that the very first chapter in my first book because I wanted – if if you got nothing else out of my book, I wanted guys to know about the soulmate myth and the fallacy of the one. And uh, I'll just tell you a really quick story. When I uh, – and this is in the – I think it's in the introduction or it's in that, that section right there. Um, when I was in, in – university, Um, I I remember being in some of these, uh, I think there were personality studies or something, um, where like there was a lot of very rational minded people there, like a lot of atheists, a lot of people who were just very scientifically minded. Because remember, this is like behavioral psychology. This isn't like touchy feely, you know, humanist stuff, right? Okay. So there are one i can remember at 1.1 one one of the teachers uh, was saying um, you know do you believe like do you believe in god do you believe in you know, people would say no no that's fantasy that's that's fairy tales and stuff like that and then the, then she said something like um, do you believe that there's one perfect person for you out there in the universe and like all these hands just went, went straight up, right? Like, like, Oh yeah, one day I'll find my, my perfect. Now this is all
0: early twenties, right? This,
1: well, well this is like uh, well, this is like back in like, no, I mean early
0: 20 their ages. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. The age range. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm old. I'm a little bit older. So I'm looking at this going, what the the hell's going on here? Um, (laughs) because they're otherwise they're very, very rational, very down to earth, very (laughs) nuts and bolts kind of people. But when it comes to like their love lives, it, they, they rely on a very uh, woo-woo magical thinking yes, that goes yes, along with this, yes. and so I I thought that that was fascinating. I'm like, I how how is it that you can't believe in this, but you can't? But you go and you, of course, if you mix religion into that, like uh, a lot of uh, mainstream religions right now, which I really feel have been. I'm writing a book. My, my fourth book is going to be about uh, the Red Pill and religion, and in that book I analyze how uh, that the soulmate myth has become sort of part and parcel of a lot of what our our modern mainstream faiths are about. Out, um really as a result of the feminization of those religions but um but so i'm 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 watching this and i'm i'm thinking gosh all you know the, it, it must be if it is that overriding a uh, a belief for these guys how important must this be for for them to believe this mm-hmm. and the reason for that is because it solves a reproductive problem so if um uh, there's two reasons like i like Oh well, wait I, I have a question real quick you, before you go on.
0: so mm-hmm. you are you said so you're saying that You think that it affects men as much as women? Oh, absolutely. I think
1: right right today, I think it affects – well, when I was watching this and even to now, I would say for the last 25, maybe 30 years, it has almost affected men more than it has for women. It started out that way. There's a lot of mythology that we used to only apply to women that now applies to men because we've feminized men so thoroughly Mm -hmm. since the sexual revolution. So uh, so men believe this and it really kind of fits in with a lot of men's uh, beta males uh, uh, mating strategy, which is to uh, – I don't know if you're familiar with a, a concept that's called uh, strategic pluralism theory. But what that, what that is is that lower SMV, lower sexual market value men tend to put all of their reproductive eggs in one basket, meaning that because they don't have an opportunity to have sex with many women, which they would like to because men's natural innate reproductive yep. strategy is unlimited access to unlimited sexuality. And if you're a dominant alpha male, you can realize that. But 80, 85% of men, to, certainly today, are beta males. They're beta men with a beta mindset. They realize that they don't have the same opportunities, and so therefore their mating strategy has to adapt if they are going to solve their reproductive problem. Well, as a result of that, what happens is these guys tend to focus all of their reproductive efforts on one woman at a time. And that 's how you get uh, socially enforced monogamy that 's a concept that uh, Jordan Peterson talks about all the time is if you have all these men who are following their innate reproductive strategy, which is really polygamy, and one alpha male has access to or marries let's say four four women, that means three other guys aren't solving their reproductive problems, and that causes a lot of civil unrest and as you might guess it's it's very it's very chaotic so What happens is if we can convince society that they're only supposed to be one man, one woman, then we have a more stable society because more men are having their reproductive uh, problems solved for them. So as a result of that, we have to form social conventions to convince a society that that's what they ought to be doing, and that's where the soulmate myth comes in. So that's when we get these romantic notions of there's only one perfect person out there for you in the world. And if you go and you find your one and she you see her at the dance and she's staring at you across the gym floor and you have the, you know, your eyes meet and suddenly you just know she's the one and we still, the first thing I do whenever somebody comes to me and they say, they say, I'm having trouble with my girlfriend or I'm having trouble with my, my guy friend or whatever, then they'll say, I think he's the one. If they ever say, I think he's the one, I know exactly what I'm dealing with when that happens. And so. What's happening is this social convention that used to be very useful is now becoming something that's debilitating to guys. Because what happens is those guys get into a relationship with their one, and they start putting all of their not just their reproductive efforts into it. They put all of their life and all of their 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 personality and all their basically their soul. You know the soulmate myth, right? They put all of that into that one person and it gets to the point i'm sure you've heard this because you can you can hear this in popular music you can see this in popular stories it's i can't live without her and literally that becomes true for that guy so when she pulls out or when she's gone he can't live without her and that's where you get suicide
0: you're talking about pre-marriage you're talking about in the dating world
1: pre-marriage and post and post-marriage well
0: presumably the person you've married is going to be your one
1: Well, that's uh, that's a problem is is uh, now, I don't if mean read... one
0: like the one you were meant to be with soulmate right. content. I mean, once you've chosen who you've chosen, mm-hmm. you well, should here's, be here's what that I, person as I, okay. your one.
1: OK, <laughs> so if you read that, if you read that that chapter right there, what I talk about is this is there there is no one. But there are some good ones and there are some bad ones. But there is no one. Agreed. So what that means is like I'm, I've am i been married for 23 years I have never once called my wife the one for me or my soulmate because I know that we're a good – we're a good fit. We're you know right. we click together. We work well together. But I also understand that, the so, that soulmates and the one is, uh, is a social convention that yes. – okay. which I okay. think okay. right Agreed. now is mm-hmm. then you get into – because what happens is if, that, if one person or the other person uh, believe that – then you get into uh, situations of codependency I see. after okay. that. I,
0: I hear you. I, I'm with you. Yeah,
1: okay. It's it's kind of a mental schema, not yes. really a, not really a, a, you know, this is real. I've married my one. Good ones, bad so, ones, but there is no one.
0: Agreed. Okay, moving on because mm. I – okay. You, t- you talked about how to drop the soulmate myth basically, especially – I guess you're talking specifically to men. This is where it gets – mm. I don't know if you mean this for men and women. I guess you do. Okay. Um, if dropping that myth will free you to have a, a, a better, healthier future mm-hmm. relationship with someone who's genuinely important to you. And it's based on desire, respect, complimentary understanding, mm-hmm. rather than on based on a fear of losing your one and only representation mm-hmm. of contentment in this life. Okay. I agree with all this. This is, this is great. And you, I didn't realize, I mean, I don't think of it, I guess, cause I, I write more for women and talk more with women and think more about it from a female perspective. So I, I've never really thought about this with respect to men. I have to say, this is kind of an education for me. Well,
1: I deal Thank with guys. I, I deal with guys who are, um, like I say, I, I deal deal with guys from all ages. But when I'm dealing with men who are. Like forty five remember the, the prime demographic for male suicide right now is forty five to sixty five yeah. years old. Yeah. And the reason for that is because that is the prime time where you get like a gray divorce. Yes. And you get yep. these these guys who what I call um they've they've invested themselves in what I call relational equity, meaning like they did everything by the book. They did everything that the old social contract told them that they should do to ensure that they're gonna have a great, healthy, happy marriage. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, treat her right, date night, all this you know, all of this stuff that's that uh, that we, you know, Oprah and Dr. Phil tell you to tell you to do. And, uh, you know, I did homework with the kids and I'm a great father and everything else. And then they find themselves divorced at 50 years old and suicidal because they thought that that relational equity was going to be insurance against her leaving him for someone else.
0: Yes. Um, and that's actually, I'm going to jump down then to, the alpha beta thing, which Mm -hmm. I want to talk about. And you mentioned that before. And what you just said kind of, kind of reminded me of that because, so I I wrote a book a few years ago called the alpha females guide to men in marriage. And that Mm -hmm. book was all about alpha women, (laughs) Mm -hmm. strong, independent, powerful, I can do take charge kind of personalities and how on earth are they going to be married? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And how to basically the gist of the the message of the book is, look, you know, as a woman today, especially in the modern world, you the argument wasn't that there's anything wrong with your personality, except that it doesn't have any place in your relationship with a man. So Mm -hmm. go out and do whatever you need to do from nine to five, but you need to turn it off at night and on the weekends because the skills and tools and whatever else you need to to build a healthy relationship are completely different from what you need to build, for example, a career. So that that's the message of that book, and it's and it has specific um, advice for how to have a successful relationship when your personality is on the stronger side. That's, that's basically the gist of it. So I bring that up only to say that I talk about alpha and beta a great deal in that book, especially considering it's in the title, <laughs> the word alpha. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about the difference between those two. Um, sure. and, and maybe apply it back to what you were just saying about what happens with marriages down the road, because I have a theory about that and I do relationship coaching and I deal mm-hmm. with this exact dynamic, like almost a hundred percent of my relationship coaching clients are dealing with this exact personality, um, slash male, female dynamic and okay. trying to help them, um, get that balance right so that they are getting what they need and it doesn't blow up later. Like you were basically describing about b- great divorce or whatever. Okay. Uh, you said I tend to think of alpha and beta as subconscious states or attitudes that manifest themselves in our thoughts, beliefs, and actions. Uh, and there are no, and this is important to understand: there are no alphas, and there are scoundrel alphas. The differences in how they apply themselves, which is really important distinction. So go ahead and expand mm-hmm. sure. upon that. Yeah.
1: Okay. So when I use the terms, uh, there's there's a few terms in the Red Pill communities that really great. Um, people who are outside of the communities uh, really badly and one of well one of those is hypergamy the others are when you use uh, terms like alpha and beta because what happens is when people hear me use the term al- probably right now mm-hmm. um, using the term alpha and beta they tend to think of them in terms of uh, e- I think hopefully I'm pronouncing this right etymological terms mm-hmm. meaning like the animal kingdom yes. yep. so what they think that I'm, t- I'm referring to is if I say a guy is Alpha, they think, oh man, Rollo's, he's he's nuts, man. That's that's been debunked. Uh, you know, he thinks that you know men are, you know, silverback gorillas or lions on the Serengeti or something like that. And it's like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. What what when I refer to alpha traits or beta traits, I'm using that term as an abstraction. It is a placeholder term for certain qualities we know it when we see it Mm -hmm. right Uh, dominance there's Mm -hmm. there's lots of things i think so people get confused that's the first thing that they get confused at the second thing is most people when they um are thinking about like what makes a person alpha what makes a guy alpha like if a guy is going to say if i were to ask like a lay person on a straight say what what makes a guy alpha he will probably come up with oh he's got to be confident he's got to have uh you know uh big muscles he's got to be a leader in his community a leader of men and i've always argued this is that When we when guys want to define alpha, they usually use themselves or their ideal selves as what they think ought to be alpha. I step away from that and I look at things really kind of in a nuts and bolts kind of evolutionary psychology standpoint when I'm when I'm referring to alpha. So what I say is this. I say you can be an alpha male and you can be uh, incarcerated in prison. There are alpha male gang leaders and Mm -hmm. alpha male drug dealers and alpha male pimps and there are alpha male guys who are the leaders of community, the leaders in in your society those are the scouts. The so yeah, the scoundrel yeah. side of things. So what I what I the way I've said and this is one of my quotes is that um, alpha is not uh, alpha is a mindset and it is not a demographic. Mm-hmm. So when so people get really upset with me when I say you know that that rock star on stage with purple hair right there that guy's an alpha male. Oh no, he's not! I can't believe you'd say something like that. You know, or or women when they when I say what makes an alpha male, they usually tell me what uh like the guy their dream guy the ideal dream guy mm-hmm. that's what they think their alpha male ought to be when in fact it's the guy that they're really still you know they'll tell me what they'll they'll tell me what they're attracted to in the long term but then they'll go and have sex with the guy who is the stereotypical alpha male that i'm describing so that's that's one and that thing gets back me-
0: into the opening where we were describing what the um Okay, people can hear the paper going around now. This is very organic. We can let them hear All that. Right, I take notes. Well, I take.
1: I, I'm a note taker myself. So <laughs>
0: um, yeah. at the very beginning, um, when you're describing what a soulmate represents, that combination of alpha and beta. You know, you want the security ultimately, but you want them to be hot. Let's just call it what it is. Listen, we're plain talk here. Some of your terminology is over my head, Rolo.
1: So, so we. That... Yeah,
0: I mean that's that's what we're talking about. And how do you? And is that real? And how do you get it? And is it? and is it fair to ask and there's just so much around that whole conversation and how it plays out in a in a relationship or a marriage ultimately um especially because mm-hmm. i talk with my daughter about this now now we both have daughters um the same mm-hmm. ages and you know watching her date and and go through this whole process in college and we talk mm-hmm. about this stuff all the time like what is the difference between what i what i think i want versus what i have around me and who's the good guy who's the bad guy i mean it's just it's mm-hmm. constant and so i like the scoundrel versus um huh. noble comparison nope. so you're saying the scoundrels are the alphas that are like in right. jail for example or they're murderers or whatever they've just basically taken their uh, maleness and and channeled it in the wrong direction that's essentially what you're saying almost 100 percent of my coaching clients are struggling with the same dilemma their circumstances vary but the underlying issue is the same they're not moving with the biological tide but against it out of fear or habit The woman has supplanted the masculine role, and the man has either become passive or argumentative as a result. This relationship dynamic is a disaster. Successful single women can't find a husband, and the men and women who did get married find their relationships quickly heading south. The resentment has set in, and the sex and respect are gone. These couples are right to be worried. But the good news is, it's fixable. If you're single and struggling in love, Or if you're married but feel frustrated and alone, I can help. Go to suzannebenker.com, that's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-V-E-N-K-E-R.com, and click on the coaching button at the top. Once you sign up or send me an email, you will hear from me personally within 24 hours. Don't wait another minute to acquire the mindset you need to find love and to sustain it. It's so much easier than you think. Again, that's suzannevenker.com.
1: Here's a really good example. We have two superheroes. We have Batman and we have Superman. Both alpha males. There you go. Both express yeah. that alpha maleness in different ways. Batman is the the vigilante. He's the takes justice into his own hands. He's kind of like the you're you're a little bit scared of Batman, right? You look at Superman, and he's, uh, you know, uh, truth, justice, and the American way. Very much alpha. Still, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, I, I think I used the the term. Also, if you look at uh, with, um, was it uh, Captain America, Steve Rogers? You know, yeah. clean cut alpha male, really stands up for the little guy and 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 does his best to do his best, right? And then you've got Tony Stark, Iron Man, who is sort of the happy-go-lucky kind of uh, bad boy kind of alpha male as well. Those are both alpha males, but expressing that in different mm-hmm. contexts, mm-hmm. that's what I'm talking about. That's when important because, is- yeah,
0: yeah, and because yeah, because people, and I, decide, I dissected this a lot in the book, it's like basically you have alpha traits and beta traits, and most people have some of both. And mm-hmm. so it's not really are you this or are you that, it's – um,
1: what are you predominantly
0: what are you predominantly and what are you um, what are you bringing forth in your relationships specifically mm-hmm. um, so you said something to the effect of that uh, that um, that power for example because a lot of people associate alpha being alpha with power or whatever isn't financial success per se or status but the degree to which we have control over our own lives and I would add, and I think that was a great way of putting it. And I, and that control can come in so many forms. I mean, basically, how confident you are. Obviously, confidence is a huge part of this. We can't deny that. But it's more just um, a satisfaction in who you are, what you're good at, and you don't, um, you're not concerned with the people around you, what they think, um, trying to be like them. So I always say to, you know, to men especially who are wondering about how this works in a woman's mind. You don't have to be the hottest guy out there. You don't have to be the richest. Those are not the most important things. In fact, I had a guest on here several months ago, G.S. Youngblood, who wrote The Masculine in Relationship, and he hit on the head when he said, those aren't the factors. What It's the degree to which you live within your masculine core, and you're proud of it, and you own it. Not how much money you make or how good looking you are or how felt you are, although those things are nice. But, really, for women, and I can speak as a woman for the long term, the long haul, not just the roll in the hay for the night it's it's not it really is more about that and being proud and owning it than it is those other accoutrements that you may or may not have in your in your life. Mm-hmm. would you say that's fair um,
1: or do you yeah, know? I would say that I would say this is that when it comes to okay, so there's There's the masculine side of things where like when I talk about – like I just said predominantly. What are you – as a man, what are you predominantly? Are you predominantly alpha with a little bit of beta or are you predominantly beta with a lot – with just a little bit of alpha kind of thing, if any at all? I think really since the sexual revolution, we have uh, conditioned – blue pill conditioned – boys generation at least three and possibly four generations of boys to get in touch with their feminine side and to become predominantly betas to be more beta because Agreed. men because what happens is for for men to solve that reproductive problem they will adapt to whatever their social situations or whatever the realities of their environment is telling them is the best way to do that and what we've been telling our kids yeah, which our you. our boys since they're 5 years old is to be more beta carry your home or carry books home from home you know all those kinds of things like to be more useful be a more u- useful kind of guy but then these are the guys who grow up um, – I forget who it was. I think it was Camille Paglia who said we, uh, we raise um, boys as if they were defective girls. Sure, yeah. mm-hmm. Well, those, defective, those boys who are defective girls grow up to be men who are defective women. And so what these guys will do is they believe that the more they identify with the feminine, the more that they're alike with a yep. woman, they believe that that's the mm-hmm. key to get them – You know, to get them laid, to get them to get them into a relationship, because these are the guys who are also mixing that with what I said before about strategic pluralism theory, where they're putting all of their reproductive eggs and efforts in one girl. They take that. They also believe in this like uh, moral imperative that only one man, one woman, and they have to be useful tools for women. Uh, when women need them the most. Well, at the same time, and you wrote a book about this. We're teaching women to be more masculine. We're teaching them to to uh, get it to be alpha, fe- quote unquote, alpha females. And so we've got this sort of this this lopsided idea of of what men ought to be to women and what women ought to be to men. But what you got into here just a minute ago is really key to understanding hypergamy because hypergamy is women's mating strategy, mm-hmm. and that mating strategy is, is dualistic. There is the, I'm going to say this nice because I know this is a family show. This, there is the alpha seed side of hypergamy, and there is the beta need side of hypergamy. So when you ask a woman, you say, what are you attracted to? What is it that women want in a guy? They will, they will tell you everything that they're attracted to. They will tell you, oh, he's got to be funny. He's got to love his mom. He's got to like puppy dogs. He's got to have a good job. He's got to you know, – he's got to be the same religion. He's got all this. So they will run down this laundry list of prerequisites for a guy who they would want to get with and have babies with and live happily ever after with if they could – if they had their druthers, that's what they would do. Where the alpha seed side of it is the short-term mating strategy, which is he's got to be hot, he's got to be available, and I want to jump his bones right now. That's the alpha side of that equation. So what women are trying to do really – and this is sort of like the Madonna whore you know paradox here is they're looking for the guy who is the hottest guy that they can have sex with and it's the sexy sons theory where they can get with that guy, breed with that guy, have good looking babies um and make sure that he is at their level of sexual market value or above have sex with that guy and hopefully that guy also has all these other great qualities for the long term so there is what women are attracted to right. in the long term mm-hmm. and there is what women are aroused by yep. in the short term and, Precisely. and so we, we, we've built a society that focuses, for, you know, encourages women to focus on the alpha seed side of things until they get to a point where they're ready to cash out. Let's stop right to there. Let's the talk park. about that for mm-hmm. a
0: minute. So we're talking about, because that was another topic here for mm-hmm. for today, is the sexual market value for both women and men. So, mm-hmm. and I've written about this a lot. We know that it, um, it does not match. <laughs> those are different completely different And the men past, and women
1: are different if you, if you different. take nothing away from this podcast men and women yes. are yes
0: i think people know that because mm-hmm. we drill that home every day but that's <laughs> understanding that and accepting that used to be the way we operated as you say up until the sexual revolution which ultimately changed everything and so people knew that there was a time to have babies and that there was a time where that, that wasn't going to work and that they knew that men had a different situation than women did. And we didn't fight it or try to equalize it as if it could be. We just accepted it. But the sexual market value that existed uh, 50 years ago is, is, hasn't changed at all. So you write in here, women's SMV tops out at around 23 years old. Fertility, desirability, sexual availability, and overall potential for male arousal and attention, and attention excuse me, reach an apex remember this approximation isn't an estimate of a personal worth of personal worth fidelity intellect character or any metric beyond a baseline of desirability invoked in men so you're just talking sex basically is what you're saying mm-hmm. by the age of 27 her smv declines begins to decline excuse me and and you go on to say that this doesn't mean she can't remain very attractive and vivacious so on and so forth but that between 27 and 30 is when she starts to freak out. I always say it's around hitting age thirty, but whatever. You're right. Somewhere between twenty-seven and thirty, um, the realization sinks in that they must trade in their party years for a long-term mate, essentially. But then, men, of course, their SMV levels off during their twenties and rises up to up to age thirty, and it represents his their slow build sexual market value as they become more valuable. Based on physical prowess, social gravity, status, maturity, affluence, influence, blah, blah, blah. And that, that's a slow process. And it doesn't, it doesn't match women's because it occurs while most women are reaching their peak. Mm-hmm. So if, so, I think people, you know, especially hearing this right now, because we have talked about this before, know that this is true. I think my listeners are too smart to not know that. But what, what is your argument or solution in light of that? Or do you have one?
1: Um. Well, I I think that. What do you
0: tell your daughter,
1: for example? Well, well, what I tell my daughter, I say, you know what, you're. Well, my daughter's twenty one right now. I told her, I say, you know what, you are going to be at the peak of your marketability or your fertility window. You know, at twenty two, twenty three, somewhere around there. That's not to say that you know, don't do your best and don't you know utilize it. Right. I think a lot of women, when they get to, uh, when they get to be about that, that peak, uh, peak SMV years, mm-hmm. um, they're too, uh, no one tells them this. That's no right. one says, Hey, look, the, every year that every year after 23, you will look back at 23 wishing you could get there. There's a reason why they call 21 forever because no, you know, it's not 41 for, forever. It's 21. That's forever. Good. Why? Why is that? A, why, hey, I got a great idea. That's for a, a store, for a, a retail store, store. If what anyone
0: doesn't know,
1: it. <laughs> because yeah, because that's where that's where we want to go, right? Yeah. Um. So I tell I and I I've been this way with my my daughter for a very long time. Be realistic. Understand where you're at. See the forest for the trees. Because too many women, when they get to that age, all they they can't believe. I think what happens to most women, and I I know this because I've seen my daughter do this. I know this because I've lived with you know I've lived amongst women, um is they get to a, a point where they're like about 18, 19, 20 years old, and they are really sort of coming into the realization that their their sexual agency is is really mm-hmm. the number one power that they have mm-hmm. over men, and they're starting to come into their own. So they're at a point where – uh, i mean maybe they learn it earlier maybe they learn it later but right around that time is when they really realize the power of their sexuality that their sexuality has to enrich their lives to to make that's why you Absolutely. see these girls on instagram and snapchat yep. and making all kinds of money um you know showing their you know showing their parts off right mm-hmm. um and so we can i we can we can look at how um that that particular area f- or that particular time in a woman's life is her sexual apex. It is her when she is the most valuable. I can also confirm this statistically too, because if you go and you look at a book called Dataclism, I don't know if you've read dataclysm but it is a series of uh, statistics and sort of implications of these statistics from uh, OKCupid and Match.com and all of that's mm. been gathered online dating sources and one of the very interesting uh graphs that they had or studies they did was they had a they they um, just they didn't even make these petitions they just look at the habits and they look at the the data from their own that they've, they've gathered and they find that for women women tend to find men attractive who are anywhere between like three to five years older, older. than they mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are and for men from age 15 <laughs> all the way up to 70 where they stopped <laughs> every single one finds women between the ages of 22 and 23 to be their most attractive for women it's they it, a woman is 40 years old she's looking at a guy who's like 43 to 45 she's you know 30 years old she's looking at the guy who's 33 35 somewhere around there because that's how that's how, evolution that is them. how it works I mean I, I, I can tell you I can tell you why um, this is why divorced when, women over
0: 50 40 and 50 excuse me have so many For issues, and they they some realize why, but they don't know what the hell to do about it, and others actually have no idea why. (laughs) But this is it. This is it.
1: Well, feminine. Okay, so for I say feminine. The feminine imperative. I I use the term feminine imperative because it's it's a catch all phrase for me when i I, i'm not like people tend to think that when i talk about the feminine imperative i mean feminism no feminism is just a a a branch i think it's like the operative branch of the feminine imperative when i talk about the feminine imperative it is whatever is beneficial to women uh overall whether that's so socially or sexually or psychologically whatever whatever benefits a a a woman's life uniquely a woman's life is what i call the feminine imperative i i I wanted to clarify that because when i what i'm going to say here is uh, sort of based on, on 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 that principle. So the the principle is this: is that we teach women the feminine imperative has taught women from very early age that they can have anything, right? That they're mm-hmm, that they mm-hmm. you, you can be an astronaut, you can mm-hmm. do all these things. But the problem is, is that there are biological evolutionary limitations yep. for you to have those things. Yep. So when women gets to be 22, 23 years old and they realize this is this is great. I could the guys will do anything for me. I'll pay you know, I can go I can go to Aruba on my Instagram account. Those kinds of things is that when so when they get to be 27, 28, 29 years old, which is what I call the epiphany phase. And they realize that what they've done for the last, like, say, since they were 20 years old, up to 27, 28 years old. Now the party's almost over. And they need to find a way to cash out of the casino to yep. get what they need. So what I see happening is this is from from the time a woman is about 21 years old till she's about 29 years old, those are what I call the party years. And she's focused primarily on the alpha seed side of things. Having fun, having fun with her girlfriend, because at no other point in a woman's life will she have more access to being sexually selective than those years right there for the for the guys that she wants to get with who does, you know trying to balance that out but most women only focus and the society expects exp- women yes, to focus right. on mm-hmm. just that too. so that when she gets to be 29 years old she realizes that all those alpha guys that that she wanted to get with or she was having so much fun with or she was so crazy in college with back in at 22 23 years old now they're not as forthcoming And now she starts thinking, oh, man, I'm almost 30 years old. I better start focusing on the beta provisioning side of hypergamy. And so she reprioritizes things. It's not to say that hot guys aren't still important. They are. But the priority – you know, it lists shifts, change it shifts, it differently shifts. around that time. And so what happens is what I tell guys, and this is what really, again, this is what really pisses off a lot of women because I'm sort of giving up the game here to guys is that once they get to be about 30 years old, 33 years old, that's what I call the, the sort of the comparison between sexual market value when they were are both about the same age where he's on his ascent to his, Sexual market value peak and she's on her descent or her decay okay. of hers and that's why women have this epiphany phase Which is oh, I need to get right with God. I need to make I need to start living the right way I I can't just have sex with this guy on the first night. I don't want him to think I'm like that um, All the things that she probably wouldn't have considered when she was 22 23 years old now suddenly those things become a little bit more important Guys, people, men and women, will hit me up and say, well, don't you think that women actually think that? And I'm like, yeah, they wait, wait, actually wait, do think that do, way. Wait, 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 stop, 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 hold on question.
0: They, wait, why do – they ask you why – wait, what do men ask you? Well,
1: okay. they'll ask me – it's like when I point that out, when yeah. I say that the the epiphany phase is between – it could be earlier. For the or girl, later, for the women,
0: when the epiphany the women, phase, it's yes.
1: between 29 and 31 years. Right, and years they say old. what?
0: They want uh, well, what
1: – So I I say this. I say this is a this is a point at which women will start looking for guys who have a good job or they start prioritizing things in the long term attraction side of their mating strategy. And that's when they have to find some sort of like psychological rationalization as to why they're doing that. And so like when they're having, you know, when they're having orgies in in college or whatever, you know, when they're in their party years from like, say, 20 to 29, uh, they they have this epiphany, and that's when you hear women want to go back to church or they, wanna, they right. want to so they want to start living. So what guys will say is, well, they, they think that I think that this is like some sort of deliberate, uh malicious, oh. kind of premeditated thing for women. I'm like, um, no, no, no. women actually believe this at that time. They are genuine yeah. oh, in sure. their interest in doing oh, this. Oh, for thing. sure. But my operative here is not whether or not they're they're, they're consciously ha- this is their you know fiendish plot it's <laughs> that why is it happening yes. right then and there yeah. that's what i'm saying to guys yeah. and so what i tell guys is i told i tell men i said you should spin plates and be not dating non exclusively all through your 20s until you get to be about 30 31 years old and then maybe consider having a girlfriend and then when you get to be about 34 35 years old when you're about to hit your sexual market value peak, that's when you will be in your peak years to be sexually selective. So I compare it this way is that a woman who is at about 23 years old at her peak is about, about, you know, about parallel with a guy who's about 36 years old, which is why sexual selectivity,
0: which is why in the past, I mean, it's always been known women that women are attracted to slash belong with slash, might want to consider dating an older man and it doesn't reverse you cannot reverse that without uh, mayhem so so um typically so so the idea that you would marry somebody older in the past was not considered odd it was almost considered smart and of course this is everything you just described is the reason why um Mm -hmm. and then of course marrying younger so the an obvious answer to everything you just said is so marry younger and marry someone older talking to the women now um which of course on the flip side would mean men would wait and marry younger <laughs> but of course what? saying any of that is taboo because we're supposed to be the same and we're supposed to have identical parallel lives all the way it's... up until 35 and then all of a sudden you're magically gonna you know get married and have a family which is a joke because that doesn't work that way because of everything we're describing
1: that's the myth of egalitarianism and the myth of the blank slate is what that is and and i don't th- you remember we we're talking about how uh, feminism has sort of infiltrated your mindset or modeled your behaviors and yes. who you are personally. Another thing that I, I – I just wrote a, a couple of essays about the old order thinking versus the new order thinking, and old order thinking is really about the blank slate, believing that men and women are equal. That's why I said men and women are different, right. or men and women are just the same. We just have different plumbing. It's it's Nonsense. nonsense. But we all – But so many just little teeny decisions or presumptions that we have when it comes to gender are all based on the blank slate.
0: Absolutely. There was a, I don't know if you ever remember a book called What Our Mothers Didn't Tell Us by Danielle Crittenden. It was a while ago. I remember the title. And the opening quote that she used was something to this effect. I'm paraphrasing. I have to remember now. Um, She was describing that even women who didn't call themselves feminists, as we talked about before are feminists because it had quote dripped into their veins like intravenous salute or i'm not saying this right some condition for it, it absolutely but it was the way it was said i didn't do that well at all but anyway <laughs> um yeah it got into them whether they wanted it to or not and it's the bottom line and there's just simply no question the vast majority of women whether they're christian whether they're conservative whether they're younger whether they're older and if you're under 60 years old in any way if you're at all under 60 it's probably in you the only reason mm-hmm. it wouldn't be is if there was some like in my case it wasn't but i'm a very unusual case of have having gotten a very different message early on and there are and there are other people like me but we're not the norm at all which is why i do mm-hmm. what i do and stand out because i'm not the norm um but yeah so the whole which which goes back to really what i'm fighting all along which is this idea of what you're calling the blank slate is is i guess the same as the idea that men and women are are the same. So equal means sameness or interchangeability. And that Mm -hmm. obviously is... um is is ridiculous <laughs> which is basically what this whole podcast well, is about people but, people
1: lose people lose their minds when i say that i don't believe in equality yeah and me too. i and and they and i'm like well hear me out here it's not that i don't think you know we you should have access you know equality right. of opportunity of, you know opportunity or or that equal you're not Justice, i certainly valuable. believe in equal justice but when when people say well you know gender parity or or uh, gender equality uh, really, that's just sort of a catch term that I think feminism has used for a very long time to sort of sell it because you can't sell Marxism or communism. You, you have to call it feminism and people will pick up on Absolutely. it. Uh, but so when – when we say, well, we're all gonna be equal, or we're all gonna be what that does what that means is that we're all starting from a point of equality. We're all all starting from some some, you know, equal position. We're all on the same level kind of thing. And the fact of the matter is is that we have evolved differences between men and women that are provable differences that we know now in this century with the you know the technology right. that we have to understand it right now. But we're still clinging to our old understandings of what we think human nature should be not what human nature actually is. So when I when I talk about how I don't believe in equality, what I'm saying is that that idea of equality requires you to believe that equality happens in, or you know sex and everything life happens in a vacuum. it doesn't. So I'm starting in a different place than my wife is starting. My yes, weaknesses right. are complemented by her yep. strengths. Her, her weaknesses are complemented by my strengths because I, I'll say this right – one of the reasons why I, well, I strongly disagree with with feminism but I also disagree with uh, MGTOWs is that I believe that men and women are better together than they are apart. Mm-hmm. And we evolved to be complements to one another. We can see this just by brain architecture and brain chem- chemistry, our, our brain chemistry, our, our – uh, our, I'm not an endocrinologist, but like you know, mm-hmm. our, our hormones, our chemicals that are running through us. There's so many differences, but there are more differences between men and women than there are similarities. And I think that is one of the biggest lies that's still being perpetuated today is that, well, we're more alike than we're, we're different. No. no. We are way more different than Speaking we are. Speaking of
0: differences let's um cuz we only have a little bit more time let's talk about sex shall we okay okay cuz you had a great section in there that i thought was um I, I love it because my husband and i talk about this a lot the differences between men and women and their sexuality um and when you feel it so strongly to see it put in words is is great so you you were you were basically uh, uh arguing back against this idea that women you know today the idea is that women are just as if not more sexual than men, but they're repressed and they just need society to help tell them you can be as free as you want. And you're just like, man, the only reason that you don't act that way is because society doesn't let you. So in your rebuttal, you said Mm -hmm. patently false, a healthy male. (laughs) True, true. A healthy male produces between 12 to 17 times the amount of testosterone a woman does. It is a biological impossibility for a woman to want sex as much as or as often as men. Trust me, when a woman says, I don't understand why sex is so important to guys, she's speaking the literal truth. Mm-hmm. Even at the peak of her ovulatory cycle, when she's at her horniest, she will never experience what men do 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So that hit home because well I won't get too personal but anyway my mm-hmm. husband and I have talked about that a great deal and um I, I don't know I honestly I don't know anyone in the real world who doesn't get this uh you know nobody in my world doesn't get it but there's simply no question that um part of that conditioning is this idea that the only reason women are not free to be as sexual as men are is because society has held them down that's one of the most significant, uh, feminist myths that have, that they, that they espouse. Um, and of course it's unleashed a torrent of disasters, especially on college mm-hmm. campuses, but just young people in general, anywhere, mm-hmm. um, or even pre-marriage life at all is just a complete and utter nightmare based on that lie.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, The other the other side of that is, I'm, and if you kept reading in that, I gave an example of I had a I had a friend of mine who was a female bodybuilder who just decided that she wanted to do steroids. And at one point, she said to me, she says, "I can't believe how horny I am on these oh, so, <laughs> on somebody, these steroids, yeah, you know, because it's, yeah, it's synthetic yeah, testosterone, yeah. right?" She she's looking yeah, around, it, she goes, it, "I can't believe you guys walk around like this <laughs> all the time. How do you how do you guys function?" I feel like because this came she, up all she could think about it. Because I, it enhanced her libido, yeah, right?
0: Yeah, and I mean it's so, not uh, so it's 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 not something to get mad at a guy about. It's something to feel sorry for them about. It would be terrible to right. feel well, like there, that all the time.
1: <laughs> there's so so now you have to understand why we have to have social uh, what I call buffers in place. To so we teach our little boys from a very early age, you know, don't walk around with a hard on. Yeah. You know, you can't just you can't do that. You're you you cannot express yourself sexually because you're a guy, and if you do that. Bad things are going to happen to you. You're going to go to jail. Things are going to, you know, be. We have stigmas. We have social stigmas that repress men's sexual expression far more than we ever had for women. In fact, if you go and you look at, uh, if you look at uh, niches of pornography, if a guy is masturbating, that is a a failure that guy that's a perversion but if a woman is masturbating mm-hmm. that's that's niche porn that's all There's right no, man uh, yeah. nice let's yeah. get in you know yeah. the, because that's a sexual cue for guys because they think because that's or she's you know expressing herself uh, indica- she's, she's, she's she's indicating her readiness to yeah. reproduce okay. with you is pretty much what it's going was going up so but why why do we have these social stigmas that are attached to that well because men's sexuality is always on Mm-hmm. So when I, when I see a picture of, a and this and more studies here, uh, when you, when a guy sees a picture of a half naked woman, doesn't have to be naked. She can be just a hot girl in a bikini or something. Mm-hmm. When a guy sees that, they've done these studies that will show that when a guy sees that he, first of all, he sees her in parts. And then second of all, he sees, um, uh, it triggers a part of his brain, a man's brain that is associated with tool use. And so why would those you know people stop right there. I'm the one that connects these dots mm-hmm. and say, well what, why is it that that's the, that's the case? Well, tool use, well, that's a problem. Reproduction is a problem for men and they have to find a way to solve it. How can I do that? Well, I got to figure out, is she okay? Is she is she is, first of all, is she ready for sex? Is she somebody that's via, a, a viable sexual uh, a possibility? Is she available for sex kind of thing? And we do this in less than a second. And that's why oh, I, know. What, that's I because,
0: yeah, I, I sorry, I said something about that recently. Yeah. They know in, men will a man will know in five seconds whether or not what kind yeah. of person you and are without, when it comes um, to sex
1: and it's it's so uh, reproduction for men is so important that it has been moved to our peripheral under our peripheral awareness so that when we when we see it when we encounter a new woman, we within like you know half a second of seeing that woman, we say, okay, she's reproductively viable or she's not. And women, oh, I can't believe you would objectify women. That's what men mm-hmm. do. We evolve mm-hmm. to objectify women mm-hmm. because we're trying to solve a reproductive problem. How we express that might be polite and whatever, but we, sorry, ladies, we're going to objectify you because so, that, is our, that is our biological imperative your DNA. to do Okay, let me to, ask to you a question. So.
0: Mm-hmm. so this is where I would get a little – it sounds like what you're saying is – correct me if I'm wrong – throughout this – hour is that um, when it comes to sex, men have basically been socialized to repress it, I guess, or mm-hmm. to buffer
1: it. OK, so.
0: buffer it. Um, and so when we when men do that, that that causes problems, obviously, mm-hmm. for them. I think that's what you're saying. So mm-hmm. what is your do you, are you saying there's any difference between an unmarried man during those early years with respect to what we're talking about and a married one? Mm hmm with respect I mean to as what far you about, mean as far do you as, think uh, they have like they're not letting out their need and desire or whatever imperatives for sexuality with their wives as much as single men um i don't know if well, i'm but saying this right
1: they, I, I think i understand what you're saying though have you ever read a book called um uh, sex in captivity i forget the name of the the author uh, yeah a i know bit. what you're
0: talking it's a woman yeah
1: yeah mm-hmm. so um you know really from a, a in our ancestral past, um, men's mating strategy or men's approach towards sex, uh, even today, is still wrapped up in what was true for us, you know, 10,000 years ago. Okay, so if um, men had to be ready to, to hit it and quit it really quickly. Okay, my uh, my buddy John calls it ejaculate and evacuate because what guys used to have to do because most guys are beta males and we look at the, if you look at this from a strictly evolutionary perspective we look at it like it's the similarities between us and primates you've got an alpha male who has who has women or he has a, a troop or he's got a family for, for men it might be a, tr- a family or a tribe and an outsider an outgroup guy comes in he wants to breed with one of the one of the women there he's got to either find some way to ingratiate himself to the to the patriarch of that tribe or that family, or else he's got to do it covertly, and usually that was the way that men had to do it. So that's why men's uh, sexuality is always on. The guy had to be ready to like. For men, our biology is we've got millions of we have millions of sperm. So how does that translate to our our sexual strategy when? One copulation could lead to – you know, one ejaculation can lead to well, t- potentially yes, right. thousands of, of pregnancies. So it's in our biological, our evolutionary best interest to get in, uh, have sex, and get out as quick mm-hmm. as we can. But that's not what's in women's best interest, particularly on our ancestral past because there was a high risk for women to sure. have sex of with course. that guy because she could get, potentially get pregnant. And if she did, there's a lot of consequences that could have. She could potentially die as a result of that because the guy leaves so what women are doing is they're filter it's a hypergamous filter to see if the guy is going to be the guy who's going to stick around and, and, and stay just, on it.
0: yes and just to pause right there that goes back to what you were saying about the sexual revolution having messed all that up because with birth control that completely yeah. changed that dynamic
1: go ahead yeah sorry. yeah exactly so 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 men's sexual strategy men's innate biological sexual strategy is this it's unlimited access to unlimited sexuality and if you don't believe me that that is true gentlemen go and look at the stats for pornography on Pornhub. There is there, the reason why pornography is so ubiquitous, and it is free, and it's live and 4K and streaming, and you could and, and a nine-year-old boy can get it on his smartphone right now, is because our biological imperative is unlimited access to unlimited sexuality. That's not always the best way to keep doing things, but had if we could manage that, we would all live like Dan Blitzerian. For m- women, on the other hand. Women have the uh, have reproductive costs that men don't have. So if a woman gets pregnant, she's got nine nine months gestation, uh, and hopefully she can raise that kid to somewhat self sufficiency in five years. So that's five years of her life for the kid to actually be you know stand on its feet and run away from danger kind of thing. So what happens in that in that sense is women's uh, sexuality has to become cyclic. So when I talk about like testosterone for guys, women will or women will challenge me on that and they'll say, well, it's not just about testosterone that makes women horny. I'm like, okay, fine, but women's sexuality is cyclic, and if you look at things like ovulatory shift, if you look at um, how it takes longer for a woman to get aroused yeah, and it does, for man, yeah. those kind of things, you can see that. It's, so when when people ask me, the reason I wrote that whole chapter in there was because I got so many guys who bought into this. Because they've been t- we've been telling women this mm-hmm. for a long time, we're also telling men this. Uh, well, women are much more sexual than men are, or they're would be. Uh, they just as sexual as men are. And it's like, no, they're not. And it's biologically impossible for a woman to be as sexual as a man because we have different biologies. And we have different evolutionary imperatives that affect our mating strategies. And so our, I, I will say this, though. Women are far more sexual than most men would would think or they would would allow themselves to believe we can see that in in evidence now on instagram and you know uh ev- everything where women are making money off of basically softcore porn on themselves right now and as this new order technology becomes you know more widespread we can sort of see the truth about what women's sexuality and what their imperatives and what their strategies really are about are women more sexual than most men realize? Yes. But are they as sexual as men? No. Not not even close.
0: Not even close. Such a taboo. <laughs> such a taboo thing to say and yet and, so and obvious. hate, hate so, it when
1: I bring that up. Yeah. Too. They absolutely yeah. hate it because I'm giving up the game. I'm giving up the game.
0: Interest, it's interesting to hear you talk about all these topics that overlap with my topics, but I'm so honed in on the women and you're so honed in on the men. And it's interesting to hear where your mind automatically goes, and sort of explaining it to men. And mine automatically goes, how do I explain this to women? Let
1: me. Um, I, I know when we were when we were talking before, I you had asked, I, maybe it was you or your producer said, you know, we we should probably talk about things that we disagree on. And I'm yeah. like, well, that would work, except for like, I think I probably agree with you on 98% of things. I, one thing I don't one thing I don't agree with you about is the idea of the alpha female. Okay. And I'll, I'll tell you why. And, and this is just really, and maybe this is semantics, well, what is it but I, under, don't agree with? I understand what you're talking about with respect. Cause I've, I've gotten, I actually have a, a blog post. I'll, I'll send you the link to it about okay. the myth of the alpha female. So when women think of, uh, the alpha female—they think of the strong CEO, uh, you know, the Sheryl Sandbergs of the world. They think of the, mm-hmm. the high, you know, business suits. Or well, I think you just wrote a, a blog or something about how uh, women, when they get a uh, a boost in pay or they get a, a raise in status or, or a promotion at work, how they're more susceptible, work, to, divorce. They're more susceptible mm-hmm. to divorce and those things. Like so, that's the kind of that's the what we think of when we think of alpha female. Mm-hmm. Well. When I think of alpha female, I don't think of anything like that at all. I look at the woman who is the most sexual, most vivacious, most you know, most beautiful uh, swimsuit model girl because in, in, in the context of women and women, the, wo- the one who is going to generate the most sexual interest from men is actually the alpha female. When you're talking about the alpha female from the perspective that you are right now, what you're doing is you're, you're basically saying that this woman is an alpha male. She has all of the qualities mm-hmm. that we that most women would want to apply to a man who they would say mm-hmm. would be their mm-hmm. ideal. Mm-hmm. long-term partner he's got to be a, that he's got to be way the I use it,
0: yes, mm-hmm.
1: and all of this other stuff when in fact that woman because since the se- since the sexual revolution mm-hmm. we have masculinized went yep. overly masculinized women and what we've done is we've we've smashed it into women's brains that that's what cheryl uh, sandberg yep. is an alpha female yep, that's what yep. we what we want to yep. say that she is when in fact she's really an alpha male with a vagina that's what she is and so when, when I say you know someone who's like my favorite like swimsuit model is like Renee Summerfield I go I say Renee Summerfield is an example of an alpha female who you're talking about right here is really an alpha male who is who is trying to live the life of a male and that's that's, what feminism has done. That's Mm -hmm. what the feminine imperative has done really since the early seventies. You can live like a male and you can have a great life, you know, by being a type a personality, by by being the the CEO of your own company kind of thing. And, but I'm not going to disagree with you on this though, is that what those women do is they have trouble trying to revert back to what an alpha female actually should be, which is as vivacious and sexy and accessible. Remember, differences in mating strategies. Yeah. Well, that's uh,
0: interesting. I don't know that we disagree. I think we're just using the words differently. Terms. It sounds like I don't. Yeah. That's interesting. I never thought about it that way. Um, yeah, I'm using terminology that I think people can understand, and, and an example of because it comes to mind when I say alpha woman. What that it, basically mm-hmm. what I am saying is a woman who's acting like a man. You know, which is essentially like what you're the bus, saying. talks
1: like the bus. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just day. like
0: the or like a, a a man who is feminized and, th- you know, all these men now who are feminized, but they're not gay, but they're just talking like women. And I can't tell people go, is he gay? Is he not gay? Because he's walking like he is. and He's talking like he is. But he's not gay. Like That's a whole nother. I think they call that metrosexual. Um, now, well, that,
1: they're soy boys now. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: Whatever. So I think it's probably just term. I mean, we may or may not disagree, but it just sounds like terminology. Well, to me.
1: The, the, well, the reason I bring that up is because I think a lot of women have this as sort of this misconception, because the reason we have that impression of what an alpha female is, is because for the last really 50 years, it's been smashed into our brains or, or we've been raised to yeah. believe that that's, you know, she's she's the strong willed alpha female. of it, And I I would – again, I would argue that from a purely naturalistic perspective, from an evolutionary perspective, the alpha female is the one who commands the most sexual attention from men. Well, who's the beta female then?
0: If that's – if you use alpha female in the way you're describing it. The
1: the women who don't. um, You mean women who have no – Women who don't have the same sex appeal or don't – Just strictly sex appeal? Is that all you're referring to? uh, Well, here's the thing is – I've I've said this before is that – and you've probably read this in the first book is – um, that attention is the coin of the realm in girl world. Women are tend to be more collectivist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah. when, when uh, so it's like your group of girlfriends kind of thing, that's why I could say the sisterhood Uber Alice, um, but within that collective there's still kind of a hierarchical situation right there and the hierarchy is dependent upon the attention that that woman can bring to herself I learned this actually in child psychology with my daughter because the worst thing that can happen to a little girl when she's like five or six years old is to have another girl or a group of girls say we're not going to be your friends anymore that is like ostracization is like the worst punishment you can give a little girl now take that and and extrapolate from that and say you know now let's take to a social level. Now let's take to a political level. You know, uh, so I would say, what's what's a beta? What's a what's an alpha female? The one who can generate the most attention. What's a beta female? The ones who don't generate the same kind of attention. But
0: okay, so quieter, and, so not as not as beautiful. Yeah, we can have, I mean, nerdier. Could, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it
1: could be it could be nerdier. It could be less. Um, uh, the, the girls who don't uh, generate the same kind of attention that other girls do.
0: I hear you. I hear you. Okay. That's very interesting. I'm, I've never thought about it that way. Those terms in, yeah, no, I've definitely been using it in a different way.
1: I, Um, you'll, you'll find that if you, I mean, for most of my work, you'll, you'll find that I, I refer back to a lot of evolutionary psychology kind of stuff. And so when I see things like that, I kind of have to step back. And, and look at why do, why do we, like, I ask questions that other people would just take for granted. Like, why are you even asking the sky's blue? Right. You know, those kinds of things. And, and I, I always ask the question or connect the dots. Like, why is it that we have this belief or why do we take this particular concept? for granted
0: Then we are very, very like, because I am known (laughs) for the question. Why, why, why? I overthink, I overanalyze why I got to know why to me, the answer is in the why every (laughs) answer is in the why. When you know your why, then you've got it, you know, and I mean, if you're not addressing the why, then you're really just floating, you know, you're not, you're, you're not, you're not, there's no depth there at all in terms of, you know, the life you're living. That's, but that's a, that's a little deeper discussion for another day, I guess. I really have to go rolla This has been great. This has been yeah. really great. You're um very, very interesting. And I, um I appreciate your coming on. And sure. um, I, I have a feeling you could go three more hours if I let you.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I, you I know, people tend that. to like, people tend to think that I get really long winded and I do, but, yeah. uh, this, a lot of the stuff that's in like the red pill for lack of a better term, it's complex yeah, stuff. It is. There's no it is. elevator speech to say, what's the red pill really all about? Because it's, it's, it's based in anthropology, sociology, psychology, yeah. just, you know, so many different subfields that, um, y- you can't just you know, learn it all in one go. And, and it, that's, I think that's what kind of like really drags people into it. Like, people who really want to learn this stuff, they yeah. tend to really immerse themselves.
0: In well, it. I know the long form interviews online on YouTube have just been, you know, hit. I, I'm still surprised every time when I, cause it's, it's a little bit more of a male space, right? The YouTube mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, have a presence there, but it's very small and kind of new and I, I, Dabble around in it from time to time. And I look at these interviews and I'm like, oh my gosh, two and a half hours. See, and people think men can't talk
1: <laughs> or they don't want depends to. Depends on what we're yeah, talking well, about.
0: Right. <laughs> depends <laughs> on the topic. Well, this has been great, Rolly. I really appreciate it. So glad to meet you and um, hope to talk with you again soon. And thanks for coming. My pleasure. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Suzanne Venker Show. Don't forget to tune in next week when I'm back with Andre Parody to talk about men, women, sex, and love. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a question or comment for me, go to Suzanne at the SuzanneBankerShow.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.